Metals like gold and copper that occur in sulfide ore bodies have not been mined in Wisconsin since the Flambeau mine shut down in 1997. Concerns over pollution related to that mine led to the state's sulfide mining moratorium that was repealed in 2017 under a law passed by the Republican-controlled state legislature. Now new efforts are underway to begin exploratory drilling for copper and gold, prompting criticism from environmental advocates and praise from some lawmakers who say mining could offer Wisconsin an economic boost. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Today we take a look at the benefits and drawbacks of mining in Wisconsin as Canadian company Greenlight Metals prepares to drill at deposits in Taylor and Marathon counties. We reached out to Greenlight, but the company did not provide a representative for today's program. Later, we'll speak with UW-Eau Claire geology and environmental science professor Robert Lodge about the latest science and research related to mining. But first, Johnson Bridgewater from the River Alliance of Wisconsin joins us to share his group's perspective. Johnson, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show. So, well, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? Sure. Uh, originally, I'm from Minnesota. Uh, I spent a long time uh, down south and about five years ago made the trek back north and I am settled all the way up north, uh, just off 51 uh, in the Hurley-Ironwood area on the Montreal River. And I am a the water advocates organizer for River Alliance of Wisconsin. And what that means is I work with communities all around the state to help them address concerns over water issues. So tell us about the River Alliance a little bit. What does it do and and what's your, well, what's the mission basically? Sure. So we actually are celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. So we have been uh, in Wisconsin for 30 years. Uh, our basic mission is empowering people to protect water. So it sounds simple, but it is a big task given uh, the state of water quality and the number of water issues that have emerged that are impacting water quality over the last, well, these last three decades. And so we stay quite busy uh, working all over the state. I was looking into the history of mining in Wisconsin, and I, I was a little bit surprised to see that the DNR didn't begin to regulate the environmental aspects of metallic mining until the mid-70s. Well, uh, what I can say is that was actually a fairly common phenomenon nationally. There was a huge push in the late 60s, early 70s of environmental awareness, meaning not just in Wisconsin, but many other states. And then, of course, at the national level, people looked around uh, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire, which is a huge event. People looked around and realized that all of these uh, places that are unregulated were suffering greatly. So especially water quality uh, was one of the things that stood out. So again, uh, the basic of it is that an awareness kind of woke up. Wisconsin was a big piece as at the center of that awareness. Um, founding of Earth Day here. So um, I can't give all of the reasons for why it took that long, but I can say um, Wisconsin was firmly at the center of trying to change that and start turning it around. But then some things changed. The Wisconsin legislature altered the state's mining laws. There were a couple of, of key dates in 2013 and 2017. What happened and what's the situation now? Yeah, so Wisconsin, uh, up until the date you mentioned, up until 2017, 
uh, Wisconsin had what was considered the strongest uh, mining protection law in the United States. It was called the Prove It First law. Uh, in 2017, unfortunately, that law was overturned and replaced with a much weaker mining law. Uh, and as far as the, the basic justification for that change, it had to do with mining and business interests seeking uh, seeking to change that law, and unfortunately, they were successful in doing so. And the gist of it is, is that the new mining law that Wisconsin operates under is much weaker and is uh, m it does not protect the state of Wisconsin from mining the way the old law did. So the way I understand this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Prove It First protections was that was repealed, really put the burden of protecting Wisconsin waters from sulfide mining pollution on small rural communities. So what is the impact, Ben, that you've seen for these communities? Yeah, so actually the, the issue of local control is a big piece uh, of trying to uh, protect against the issues related to mining. And not only did it shift uh, it shift the burden to local communities, there were several uh, there were several um, pieces attached to that mining law that limited local control and limited people's ability to push back against uh, against the the new um, mining law and to push back against mining projects. So where we are right now is local communities are uh, in Oneida County, for example, um, at least a dozen uh, towns have signed uh, a resolution pushing back saying they don't want sulfide mining in their communities, whereas at the county and state levels, you have people trying to encourage sulfide mining. So it is a real uh, it is a real struggle between uh, we'll say larger business interests and the will and desire of the people at the local level who ha are very aware that mining always creates pollution and trying to protect their local economies. And this is not directly answering your question, but it's very critical to it. The reason local communities are pushing back so hard is that one of the biggest uh, economies of Wisconsin year after year is tourism and the recreation industry. Those local communities depend on that. It's sustainable. It's been there for them and it's actually growing. And that's how I would frame um, this issue of the local communities versus uh, the bigger mining interest is they have an economy that's worked for them for decades. It's actually in a, a you know a strong growth phase. It's not worth it to them to risk it with an industry that we know for a fact always pollutes. You've said that a couple of times, always pollutes. Is there, I mean, are there changes that could happen to make this less uh you know, less environmentally scary, or is this just the reality of mining? Yes. So they will always say that there are methods and you know, new practices coming along that can allow for mining to happen without contamination. But I would just point everybody to a very recent study by Dr. Stephen Emmerman, who has been working with people in the state of Minnesota, because Minnesota is, uh, interestingly, actually trying to enact approve it first law. So they have actually taken what Wisconsin previously had. They're trying to get it adopted as their state standard in Minnesota. Dr. Stephen Emmerman recently did a report addressing that specific question you asked. 
all of the mines that are of a similar nature in Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and Canada, which are sulfide mines, every one of them has a very clear record of contamination, including the Flambeau mine, which the mining companies hold up as a model mine. It's polluted and is polluting to this day as well as the Eagle Mine, which they also hold up as a gold standard in Michigan, there is a long and lengthy record of the Eagle Mine of water contamination and leakage. So I would simply say, based on operations and what is actually happening out there, they still cannot produce examples of completely safe, non-polluting mining, no matter what they may claim. And we hear that a lot. I mean, we do hear the example of the Flambeau mine brought up a lot in discussions here in Marathon County, where where I live. Um, but you say that that is not a shining example of of what is being done right. No. So there is to this day, it's known as Stream C. Uh, it's an impaired stream. They are actually monitoring it uh, as we speak for contamination, uh, and it is on the impaired waters list. So again, what they say and the reality of what we know is happening and has happened don't <laughs> don't mesh. And and I would also say even the even bigger than that, worldwide rivers are the number one source of contamination for rivers worldwide including the United States is mining. And I think people need to think about this. Um Wisconsin is a water state. Let's face it, if you look at a map, and I'm looking right now at what are called exceptional and outstanding waters, which carry legal classification, and if you look at the areas where they wish to mine in Wisconsin, it is completely overlaid with these uh, exceptional and outstanding waters. Again, no matter what they have said, they can't provide clean examples and in a state that absolutely depends on water for its economy, there's just no, there's no level of safe risk. You said that you work with uh, local communities on these mining issues. I'm curious if there are challenges for county board members, county supervisors to really understand the the science behind it how, how i mean given the complexity is that an issue that you see frequently that they're really having a hard time getting why uh why your concerns are valid yeah so mining company mining companies and uh pros, mining prospectors are very good at messaging they're you know very professional in how they can come across and make presentations uh, green light metals is a perfect example of that um they definitely approached all of the county board members in Marathon County with their own version of the facts, and they sound great. They are promising jobs. They're promising economic well-being. They're claiming they can do it without any risk. But again, when you drill down and look at it, and I'll just point out one area that they make claims about that is absolutely false, they say things like, we're doing this for the renewable energy movement. We need you all to mine in Wisconsin for the good of the nation, for the safety of the country. The fact is, uh, Marathon is a gold deposit. It is a simple for-profit gold mine. It has nothing to do with green energy, has nothing to do with strategic minerals or national safety. But th these are the pitches that they use. So without being um, too strong, I will just say what they're dealing with is getting misinformation and, and 
people are having to counter that after the fact. And that's often hard to do once these things are lodged in people's minds. What do you do then? I mean, as a, you know, from, from a River Alliance of Wisconsin perspective, what do you do to counter that information and, and ensure that, that enough facts are out there uh, for county supervisors to make responsible decisions? Yeah, so the, the the nature of my work, the nature of River Alliance, there are no shortcuts because the, the it always comes down to one thing. You have to go person by person and have an honest, open dialogue uh, and approach people with the information. And that is a time-consuming and difficult task when you're talking about uh, 72 counties in a state. Um, but but the, the short answer is there are no shortcuts. It is literally a matter of people on the ground, in the community, meeting with them, talking with them, and above all, doing all of this based on fact and truth. That's where we start with, and we find that that, that does win through if you can build those relationships and get that information in front of people because we don't use misinformation. We don't use our passion and our feelings. We present what we know uh, as truth and fact. And um, it's, like I said, it's it's slow work, but there there's just no shortcut uh, to doing that. And that's where we are right now. We work with uh, people in Marathon County. We work with people in Taylor County. We're working with people uh, over in, uh, in Marinette County. Where the issues happen is where we have to go to engage on the work. You're listening to Johnson Bridgewater, water advocates organizer from the River Alliance of Wisconsin, as we discuss sulfide mining proposals in Wisconsin and the potential impact. Later, we'll hear from a UW-Eau Claire geology and environmental sciences professor as well. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Johnson Bridgewater is our guest from the River Alliance of Wisconsin, discussing proposals to mine for minerals in several central Wisconsin deposits, including in the Shawamigan Forest. Last year, President Biden issued a memo invoking Defense Production Act authorities to promote domestic mining of some minerals. It was a response to increased demands for non-fossil fuel energy. What was the result of that? So, on the practical side, we do know that the United States Geological Survey has been pushed into a much more active uh, role in investigating potential deposits across the United States. Uh, so the USGS has definitely ramped up its um, exploration and, and research on minerals across the United States. One of the I guess that's that's like an objective side of it. One of the more troubling sides is that the administration has been doling out money to mining exploration companies without really any public input in both Minnesota and Michigan, for example. Uh, Several million dollars have been delivered to Talon Minerals for exploration activities in Minnesota and Michigan. And similar things like that are happening elsewhere in that they are essentially um, funding 
funding projects that aren't necessarily getting the blessing of the local communities. Uh, a recent development along those lines is largely related to what I would call indigenous rights. So uh, it just so happens that a lot of these strategic deposits, these critical deposits, as they label them, we wouldn't label them that way, uh, happen to be found uh, on lands inhabited by uh, in long histories of indigenous habitation. This is a central emergence on on this issue that we're concerned about is we want to see the U.S. government honoring the people who have been there long before um, the U.S. came looking to mine the areas. We want their interests and their um, uh, their culture and, and their history protected and honored and their resources. And right here in our backyard, so Minnesota Wisconsin and Michigan all have treaty territories, right? So um, lands were ceded from the Anishinaabe, from Ojibwe and Chippewa to the U.S. government in exchange uh, by law, uh, went through the, through the courts by law. Um, the tribes have rights to these, what they call treaty resources. So wild rice, um, hunting, uh, gathering, Mining, similar to what I was just mentioning about other communities in the West where they're looking for lithium, in our own backyard, mining uh, exploration is happening across the ceded territories, and especially in Minnesota and Wisconsin, there are real risks to wild rice uh, and other resources. And again, so your original question of what's happened is, the administration seems to be pushing a mining agenda without having a strong, honest sit down with the people who should be involved in those decisions, which are the communities and the indigenous people inhabiting the areas that the government wants to mine. So what are tribal leaders telling you? What are those conversations like when you're talking about the tribal lands and waters that have been at the center of some of these discussions? Well, one uh, one very happy outcome, we actually just celebrated last weekend uh, the Crandon Mine Purchase, uh, so the 20th anniversary of the fight of Exxon to mine uh, the Crandon area of Wisconsin. We actually went to a celebration, um, and what we're being told is, again, the land and the resources on that land are these are living beings to these tribes these aren't in the the resource word that's my that, that's my word um working in in the you know in the governmental realm um but they're not resources these are living beings to these tribes and the notion that they don't have they don't have spirit, they don't have value unless it can be dug up and turned into a built product is absolutely the opposite of the way the, the tribes uh, would view these these bodies of land. Um, and so j just, again, one example, when Exxon uh, moved and tried to uh, open up a huge mine in the, the Crandon area, Mole Lake, and many other people joined them, pushed back against it. And actually, it's one of um, possibly the largest um, uh, defeat of a mining proposal in the United States. And I'm guessing one of the few times Exxon lost in their bid to um, pursue a business venture as well. So all of that is to say what they're saying is, 
similar to so on on our side on the state side of it's not worth the risk to a sustainable tourism and recreation economy they would say it's certainly not worth the risk to their literal cultural and spiritual um land that they see has infinite more value than a commodity that you put a price per pound on River Alliance focuses on three potential mines. Two of them are here in central Wisconsin, but one is the proposed Back 40 mine. That isn't in Wisconsin at all. So talk about that mine a little bit and why it's so central to the discussion in Wisconsin. Sure. So what you will find if you look, I mentioned earlier that rivers are potent, uh, rivers are particularly damaged by mining operations and so if you look the reason is because the back 40 though the land may be located in michigan it it is on the menominee river which is a border river of both wisconsin and michigan that mine the threat is to that river and therefore absolutely a threat to the people of wisconsin who live along the river as well as the fact that that flows into the bay that water flow actually goes up to Door County. So if contamination comes off of uh, the proposed, and I I say proposed because it is far from certain, but if that mine were established, contamination started flowing out of it into the Menominee, that contamination actually ends up in Door County, Wisconsin, because of the nature of the way the water flow works. So even though the, the body of land may be a footprint in Michigan. This is the problem with mining. They always place them next to a river. Rivers are alive. Rivers move, change, and flow. So that pollution doesn't stay there. It all goes downstream and spreads out from there. So it's a much bigger um, harm footprint than simply the acreage of land that they may have the mine itself located on. The two closest to home for us at Route 51 would be the Reef Deposit in Marathon County and the Bend Deposit in Taylor County. What's the scope there and what are the biggest concerns that your organization has? Yeah, so the the way I would frame it is I always say the Reef Deposit on the Eau Claire River and I always say the Bend Deposit on the North Fork of the Yellow River, because again, they are intentionally located. And if they were to open, they would be given rights to use the water from those two rivers. But again, they're located on water bodies that flow. Um, anybody who's visited the, the, the Eau Claire Dells knows that is, um, you know, that is just beyond description. It's an amazing place. The good news is both of those projects and Greenlight and Greenlight Metals' pursuit of them um, have essentially slowed at the moment. Uh, in Marathon County, that project uh, was uh, well well into last year, so 2022 was the last activity on it. And where that has landed, DNR responded to their request to do, to do exploration with a long list of questions and requirements. And at this time, Greenlight Metals has not responded to DNR's uh, DNR's list of needs. So that project is currently stalled on the um, the Taylor County, the, the Bend deposit. Uh, it's also stalled, but for a different reason. So 
one thing I have to say, so the Marathon County is private land, whereas the Taylor County deposit, as you mentioned, it is the Schwamagon National Forest. So there's different oversight. The final arbiter in Taylor County is the Forest Service. The DNR did issue a provisional right to explore to Greenlight for the Bend deposit. However, because it is on Forest Service land, the Forest Service has to approve uh, any drilling plan. And at this time, they are waiting on additional material uh, to be delivered to the Forest Service and Greenlight is waiting for the Forest Service to respond back. So again, both of them are stalled. Um, Marathon County since 2022, uh, Taylor County since uh, I believe around summer of this year since anything has happened there so they are they are um, uh, it's not that they are dead so to speak but the exploration has not yet started due to um, permit and data requirements what are you hearing from lawmakers on this issue is your message resonating with them or would you like to see more from a legislative standpoint right now no, absolutely. Uh, it is very clear in Wisconsin, it's business first. They don't seem to understand the ramifications that all mines contaminate water. That's the simple message. We would say two things. Wisconsin is a water state and all mines pollute water. I mean, those are, again, those are not opinions. Those are based on study. Those are based on results. And new studies were issued just this summer that continue to verify that. Um, but what I would say to them is they uh, they claim that this is for jobs and economic reasons. The fact of the matter is that these are other mining myths, as we call them. Um, the jobs are short-lived. Contemporary mining, for example, the Flambeau was only open, I think, 12 years. Mining as it's being pursued today is not your grandfather's mining where it's going to have thousands of jobs for generation for people to raise families for a community to have a tax base to build around. Um, they're short lived. The jobs are almost always filled by out of town special skilled workers brought in for those jobs. They close after a number of years, and the profits, and one important thing, Greenlight Metals, uh, you may have seen, again, we talked about messaging earlier, you may have seen the phrase Greenlight uh, Wisconsin, but the fact is Greenlight is a Canadian corporation. The profits will be exported to Canada. The results of the mining, which, again, have always been degradation and pollution, those are stuck with the community for decades after that. Where I'm going with this is, if I was going to talk to the legislators, I would say, look, our recreation economy uh, in 2021, it was $8.7 with a B, billion dollars. Our tourism economy for Wisconsin is every year one of the top three economies for the entire uh, state. Those are sustainable. Those are here. Those are creating jobs. Those are creating uh, dollars for the state. It's not worth this pie in the sky dream of vast wealth that is always claimed with mining when we have these stalwart uh, Wisconsin economies growing and doing well. Johnson Bridgewater, our guest from the River Alliance of Wisconsin. We're discussing proposals to mine for minerals in several Wisconsin deposits, including in the Shawamagon Force. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you again.
Now Route 51 welcomes UW-Eau Claire Geology and Environmental Sciences Professor Robert Lodge. Dr. Lodge, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. So tell us about yourself and how did you get interested in this kind of work? So um, I obviously didn't know much about geology when I first started. I took it and discovered it like many other geology majors do, accidentally taking other classes at college and then and then I took my first geology class, got interested, and then it snowballed after that. I did my master's and PhD work in Canada. Um, I wasn't always involved in economic geology. I started off like my geology life looking at cascade volcanoes and things like that. But then I worked in the industry for two years and discovered that it was really interesting. Appreciated the technical challenges. The, the geologic tools I had to use to survive. And, and so it was really fun. So I ended up doing my PhD in it. And now I am been employed at UW-Eau Claire since 2014, mentoring okay. the new generation of geologists. In this okay. Field, so. Inspiring a new generation. I love that. Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about mining in Wisconsin, what types of metals historically have been mined here? What is Wisconsin known for? Well, um, we're the Badger State. So um, way back in you know, the 18th and 19th century, like 18-somethings, I don't know what the year off the top of my head, but uh, they were mining lead and zinc, mostly lead, down in the southwestern part of the state. So that's how we got the nickname Badgers, because people were always in holes and things. That industry and those deposits largely got mined out. And then fast forward until about 1960s, in the development of new technologies, we discovered that large swaths of northern Wisconsin had zinc, copper, lead, silver, and gold deposits. Um, this was largely unknown. And then um, the only deposit that was mined from those was the Flambeau Mine near Ladysmith that operated from 93 to 97 that produced copper and zinc. And other than that, there's, that's the extent of our mining history. There's been exploration for these resources, but no actual mining activity besides the flambeau and the historic stuff down in the southwestern part state. I'm curious how scientists know how much copper, gold, or other minerals are buried beneath the surface. We hear a lot about proposed mining operations, and they'll say, we think there's this much gold beneath the surface. How do they know that? Um, it starts with a lot of drilling. And so these are deposits that are buried beneath the soils and even beneath a lot of the sandstone deposits that are throughout this recently Eau Claire region. Um, the only way we get to see these things is by drilling. And so they'll set up and pull out cylinders of rock and geologists will understand that rock. And when we discover ore bodies that contain those metals, they send them off for uh, lab analyses to get the exact amount of metals within that. And then after that, it's a lot of computer modeling where they look at the, the width of the intersections times the grade or the amount of metals in those intersections. And then you just build it up block by block and you get an estimation of the amount of metals that are in that in that pocket. What is it from a geological perspective about 
say the Bend deposit in Taylor County and the Reef deposit in Marathon County that make them so attractive for mining processes. Um, what is it about the the makeup of the land? Well, the deposits of of copper and zinc throughout northern Wisconsin are a preserved submarine volcanic environment that is almost 1.9 billion years old and um, just part of the geologic history of Wisconsin, this environment was preserved in our rock record. It's, it's not an uncommon thing in terms of there are many other places around the world that have this environment preserved. Um, but in terms of a global perspective, it is a, it's fairly unique to get a submarine volcanic system like this um, preserved in the rock record. But that's what we have across the northern part of the state. And to use a modern analogy, if you go to the modern seafloor and modern volcanic settings, you can find these black smoker hydrothermal vents on the seafloor. And they're spewing out chemical chemically precipitated sulfide minerals and that black smoker is what the bend deposit is and what flambo is and things like that um the deposit in wasaw from what i know about it anyway and it's largely gold with some copper that's a slightly different system but nonetheless related to the volcanic history that wisconsin has back 1.9 billion years ago Thank you. UW-Eau Claire Professor Robert Lodge is our guest on WPR today talking about the debate over mining in Wisconsin and what's at stake as Greenlight Metals prepares to move forward with exploratory drilling. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. On Route 51, I'm Shereen Seward, UW-Eau Claire professor. Dr. Robert Lodge is our guest. To continue our discussion on sulfide mining in Wisconsin, he stays with us for the hour. Earlier, we heard from Johnson Bridgewater, who is the water advocates organizer from the River Alliance of Wisconsin, and we did reach out to Greenlight Metals. They did not provide a representative to speak with us today. So once mining begins, um, who regulates it? And... Do you know much about how regulations work? Um, regulation, as far as permitting goes, a combination of both state and federal entities that you have to get permits through. Um, the Wisconsin DNR, for example, is one of these entities that oversee that process of compliance to those permits. Um, the Environmental Protection Agency of EPA is another one of these entities that overseeing this um, uh, compliance. The companies themselves might employ environmental consulting companies and things like that to help do the sampling that's required of their permits. That's, that's the, who's the oversight. It's largely the, the governmental bodies and then, and then the companies themselves have to put in some effort to make sure they're compliant as well. So how does the mining process work? How are those minerals extracted from mining sites? There are two different ways that we uh, extract metals. Um, one is an open pit where there's a big hole in the ground. For those of you that ever toured 
the Iron Range in northern Minnesota. This like those are huge pits, but it's an example of an open pit operation um, where the mineralization is close to surface. I mean, just dig the big holes and and get our ore that way. The other way is underground mining. The footprint tends to be smaller in these operations, um, but it's ultimately more expensive. And this is something that as we find deeper resources, we tend to utilize those methods just because the size of the hole would be uneconomic in, in some circumstances anyway. With respect to the two, you know, the two different kinds of mining, is one more environmentally risky than the other, or do they pose the same concerns for environmental advocates? Um, as far as the advocation or advocates go, is their concerns. A lot of the concerns is with the actual processing of the rocks themselves. So the idea is that we have these sulfide-rich minerals in the ground and they're kind of locked up in place in the crystalline bedrock that's there and then during the process of mining we crush these things we, you know we, we process them we load them in trucks we move them around we expose them to air water if not properly managed these newly exposed sulfide minerals can oxidize and produce acidic waters which can mobilize other metals into the environment um so that's the principal chemical reaction if left unmitigated then these are the issues that can, that can happen i mean historically speaking you know back in the world war eras and early 60s and things that's what kind of happened people just were kind of careless with it Earlier, we were speaking with uh, Johnson Bridgewater, and he repeatedly said that mining always results in pollution. Do you do you agree with that? And and why is that? I mean, why why does it always pollute? Um, I'm going to say that it is. Everything that we do is in terms of resource extraction, whether it is renewable or non-renewable resource, has an impact. And ultimately, it's the regulators and the companies themselves and best industry practice that will help mitigate and reduce those impacts. So historic mining has been a big issue. Um, even a, a mine like Flambeau, which is a flagship reclaimed property that is, like a, is, a, is a good example of how we can repair the, the earth after a mine. Even that had a few issues that were beyond the scope of the permit. I can't speak to exactly what those were. It's something about increasing whether they're loading things up, but it's something for sure. Um, but the industry has gotten a lot better in terms of where it was when my when my grandparents were or my, my grandparents were doing this versus where our students are being employed today. It's a whole different ballgame. So the industry has gotten better at mitigating impacts. 
So given that, can mining be done responsibly? I mean, can it be done in a way that does not threaten the environment at all? That is a question that um, I don't know if I could answer. <laughs> um, I feel like it could be done with minimal impacts. Obviously, if you're digging a hole in a relatively wild environment, the, the impact of that practice might be confined to that hole, right? But that's that's still having an impact, as opposed to whether the activities within that hole spread out and, and impact other areas that are outside of that. And that's where I think the issue lies, is not so much like, because like, obviously having trucks and grinding up rocks and things, the environment before that operation is different than during the operation. But if the, if the industrial site that is the mine and impacts of that spread into the waterways, into the groundwater, and other resources that are beyond there start impacting people's lives. I don't. I, I think they're pretty good at it now, at least in my opinion. Anyway, that the impacts of mining are largely within the site of mine itself, and then the reclamation process after that reduces that that risk even further. So. That's the that's my best answer on that, I guess. Sure. What about uh, proximity to lakes, streams, um, rivers? That seems to be uh, a sticking point with many advocates who say that uh, mining can have this, you know, this expansive impact, and once it enters the waterway, uh, once those contaminants enter the waterway, the risk is greater. What's that all about? Um, so when we have this oxidation of sulfide-rich minerals that then create this acidic water that then mobilizes metals, if that gets into the environment outside of the mine, then it can affect the local wildlife. Um, it can affect, for example, a big issue in Wisconsin and northern Minnesota with wild rice and things like that. Um, before a mine is permitted, there is an extensive background, environmental background sampling done. So we're understanding the local water chemistry, the local conditions around pre-mining activity, and then any mine or any impact during mining activity is constantly monitored and rectified if anything happens. Um, I can use the example of Lundy Mine, Eagle Mine, and the Upper Peninsula. That whole site design is designed so that way any waters that even precipitation falls on the site is treated before it is released in the natural environment. And, um, which is, again, that's 21st century mining practice and making sure that the impact of the mine is not felt outside of the mine. So, I'm curious at, at UW-Eau Claire, where, where you teach, um, how deeply do you get into mining issues in the classroom? Is this something that uh, students are, are learning more about today than they used to? Um, I would say absolutely. I mean, as we train this new generation of students, you know, you learn from the mistakes of the past. So I specifically teach a class in economic geology. 
where we I teach students about different like how four bodies across the globe and across the United States. But at the same time, as we address these, we talk about some of the issues like acid generation information. Um, so that way students understand not only like that, yeah, we need our resources, we need our these metals to function as our current society, but um, but there's a responsibility to that and that we only get better by realizing what the issues can be, try to understand the voices of others that are, are concerned about this resource extraction and listen to them because their opinion matters as well. So we, we do sort of conscious effort in that our department sort of secured funding from the state for the responsible mining issue that really embeds that principle of their students and we strive to get students into the industry, not just knowing about environment, but really well. We have a thriving hydrogeology program here to also teach the students about water transport, water issues, and things like that. So, and we do make a conscious effort in the state to make a well educated workers in resource extraction management and protection. Earlier in the hour, uh, when we were speaking with our, our other guest, he was talking about the fact that uh, advocates for mining uh, often point to the need to rely less on fossil fuels as a as a support for for this kind of mining and yet the kind of mining we're talking about in Wisconsin is gold mining I mean it's metallic mining is there a relationship there between fossil fuel reliance and the kind of mining that goes on in Wisconsin so the U.S. government in the United States Geological Survey posts a critical year that's based on our current and projected needs of metals and of those metals, one of the ones that are on there, and I'm not sure if it's compared, but copper is one that comes up because as we electrify and you know, basically we create new solar panel energy, we create new wind farms, this requires a tremendous amount of copper. And uh, about 40% of our copper is derived from other countries outside of the United States. And there's a whole spectrum of other metals that, 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 that have a similar fate, but they're not really produced domestically. So you're constantly relying on the resource. So gold is not necessarily one of those metals, but um, it is a technology metal. And one of the things that the expenditure behind mineral exploration. This is something that happens outside of, of, of just like the control of the state and what's happening. Gold is an investor safe haven, if you will. So in order to generate money to actually explore it, because you need to ask, basically you're asking people for money to, to gamble on your company to explore. Gold is a commodity for centuries that this is one of those commodities people are willing to invest in. And so that's why a deposit like reef is attractive because it is something that people are going to invest in. when you go to Ben, for example, it's called the Android. So that does 
satisfy the wish of, of um, critical minerals. But ultimately, a petroleum-free society is a is a metal society. We have to, I think, we have to reconcile that. It's challenging to reconcile, and I get it. But it's just look at that. Our current societal structure is got to be one way or the other. Do you think we're going to see increased mining in Wisconsin moving forward? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate about it. There's been a lot of pushback from environmental groups and a lot of uh, support from some lawmakers who say this is the way to uh, create jobs and and a stable economic future for Wisconsin. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, me personally, uh, again, uh, my per- my personal perspective is I would love to see mining activities just because I, I think that here in Wisconsin with that kind of friction with that kind of challenge to the mining industry just like any challenge that we face will make us do it better and so I think the the legislation that we have here in Wisconsin coupled with the, the energy from the opposition of mine will only hold the mining industry more accountable and will set a new standard for the industry itself. So I would I would personally love to see the activity. Do I think it's gonna happen? I don't I don't know. I I feel like I have colleagues that can say that I think it might happen for longer than I've been in Wisconsin. So uh well. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this important issue. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Once more, extending a sincere thanks to our guests, Dr. Robert Lodge and Johnson Bridgewater. Our producers are Joy Ratch Kramer and Ezra Wall. Our executive producer is Ezra Wall, who is also our on-air producer today. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program as well as our previous programs at wpr.org slash route 51 and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Wisconsin Public Radio.